Thank you, guys. Well, hey, before I, I jump into my sermon, um, I just want to take a minute and, and talk about the 40 days a little bit more. Um, you know, we are kicking off the 40 days of prayer and fasting tomorrow. Um, and, and one of the things that we're going to be doing, like we did today, is taking a, more of an emphasis, making more of an emphasis on communion during our, uh, our, our weekend services. And I just love that. I think it's, it's a really powerful thing to do. Um, but the 40 days of prayer and fasting is uh, what a lot of churches call the season of Lent. Um, it is the time that's leading up to Good Friday and then celebrating Jesus' death on the cross and then celebrating his resurrection from the grave on Easter Sunday. And I know a lot of people, every time we talk about doing uh, the 40 days and, and observing Lent, a lot of people think, like, that just that doesn't feel like us. Like, we're, that feels a little high church, or it feels like it's, you know, super traditional, and this church doesn't feel super traditional. I don't know if you're new, if you can tell by the way I'm dressed. We are not a super traditional church, but there are certain things that we just, we love certain traditions. We think traditions uh, can, can really enhance our relationships um, through time. There's lots of traditions in our families that are, just help us grow closer as a family. And, and, and I just want to give you a little bit of background on the season of Lent. If you were here on Wednesday for our Ash Wednesday service, you heard some of this stuff. But I, I just want to give you a little bit of background um, it is, it is really commonly accepted uh, that, that the, the season of Lent, you can first see it all the way back in the Council of Nicaea in 325 AD. If you are a church history buff, you know that the Council of Nicaea was a very, very important meeting for the church. Uh, that's where we, 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 we got the Nicene Creed. It has formed so much of what the, the Orthodox Evangelical Church believes about the Bible and Jesus. It is a, a really important event. And, and the early church fathers who were part of this council talked about having a, a season leading up to Easter where we would just pray and fast and focus in on the death and resurrection of Jesus. And the reason that they thought it was so important to do this season of Lent or the 40 days was because they knew something about humanity uh, that is, is, is very true to who we are. And it's that we are distracted and forgetful people. We easily get distracted. And so they thought, hey, it would be really wonderful and beneficial for, for us to have, you know, a blocked out time in our calendar every year that we refocus and, 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 and really press in to, 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 to who Jesus is and what he came to do. Because they knew we are, we are easily distracted. And if they knew that we were easily distracted around 2,000 years ago, how much more distracted are we today with, with, with smartphones and Netflix and 24-hour news and uh, TikTok and, and video games and just constantly being bombarded with distractions. We are so distracted. And so I think it's even more important for us today 
to take out a time, to block out this point in our calendar to say, Jesus, we are focusing on what's important. We're going to refocus and, and realign ourselves with what's really, really important. And what I believe is really important is the person of Jesus. It's Jesus. And, 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 and I think if I could look through his whole life, I think there are so many, so many important things that he did. But if I had to like say what I think is the most important thing, it would be his death and resurrection. I think all of humanity hinges on that one event. Everything up, up until, uh, you know, everything past with humanity was leading up to that point. And it's the, the, the thing that I feel like if there was one thing that we should focus on, it should be Jesus' death and resurrection. And so during the season, typically what, what they tell you to do is the season of Lent would be something where you would take something on and you would lay something down. You would take something on and you would lay something down. And we here at the Vineyard, we use the language of that. We would breathe something in and we would breathe something out. That it would be a rhythm, like breathing. We'd breathe in and breathe out. And the breathing out is what we would refer to as fasting. And fasting, many of you guys know bits and pieces about it. Some of you are more familiar than others. But just really quick, fasting is essentially saying, I am going to give up something for an extended period of time so that I can make space for you, Jesus. So that I can better focus on you. Like, I'm going to abstain from this thing, and then every time I think of how much I want this thing, it reminds me of you. And I say, I've laid this down for you, Jesus. Oftentimes, it's food. It can be, you know, a meal. Some people will fast like lunch. They'll say, hey, I'm, I'm going to fast lunch every day. And, and it would be when lunch comes around and you are feeling those hunger pains, you would maybe pray a prayer like, oh, Lord, would you help me hunger for you in the same way? And Lord, I want to experience more of you. Or, or it could be a type of food. Some people will, will uh, fast coffee. I hear a gasp, like, no, not my coffee. Or soda or, or you know, caffeine or, or all kinds of things. Um, but it doesn't have to be food. I see lots of people fasting social media. Usually they make a big announcement that they're doing it. <laughs> but that could be a thing. You could fast social media. You could fast listening to music in your car. There's all kinds of things. But what I would encourage you to do and, and, and is just to pray, Lord, what would you have me lay down? Is there something that maybe has become a distraction for me? Or is there something that you feel would be really beneficial to lay down for this season of Lent. And the other part would be the breathing in, and that would be taking on something. So it could be, I'm going to commit to serving in this area or, 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 or praying for this, but I'd like to invite you into something. Um, we have these booklets in the lobby. And in those booklets, there's lots of great stuff. I encourage you as you leave to pick those up. But one of the things in that booklet is a, is a daily prayer guide. And I want to invite you to pray those prayers with us as a church. 
I, I just really believe that there is a lot of pr- power in prayer. And how amazing would it be if our church collectively committed to fasting and praying for these specific things in our ministries in our church, things outside of our church. And I, I just, man, I might be weird, but I think some cool stuff could happen if we committed to praying those prayers. But like Vicky said, we have these Friday evening events. And let me just say, I, I think they're kind of like the best thing that we do. I love these Friday evening events. If you haven't come to them, they are really, really good. Um, they are practical. They give us practical tools to put in our you know, toolbox. But they're also really essentially what they are is a time where we come expecting to meet with Jesus. And he meets with us. They have just been really powerful times for for me personally, and I'd encourage you to do it. But another thing that we're doing is we are doing a a sermon series uh, specifically for the 40 days. And we are going to be looking at the last words of Jesus. As Jesus was hanging on the cross, what were the final things that he said um, and, and this week I was looking at a website that was giving famous last words, and I love the last words of Pope Alexander VI. You can put this, this up. Okay, okay, I'll come. Just give it a moment. <laughs> Not very profound. I think the reason that his words aren't that profound is because he didn't know he was dying. I'm coming, hold on. But Jesus knew he was going to die. He regularly told his disciples, hey, I'm gonna, I'm gonna die. They're gonna kill me. They're gonna crucify me, but I'm gonna raise again. And so he knew it was coming. So I imagine he put a lot of thought into the words that he would say to his disciples and to the, to the people. And so we want to look at what are these phrases, what are these words that Jesus said as he was on the cross? And today, we're going to be looking at one verse. We're going to be looking at Luke chapter 23, verse 34. If you have a Bible, you can turn to it, but it's one verse. We'll have it up on the screens as well. Um, but before we look at that verse, let's just pray. Jesus, would you speak to us? Lord, would you say the words that we are longing to hear? Would you say the words to us this morning that our souls need to hear? Lord, I pray that my words would would be from you. In your name, amen. So Luke chapter 23, verse 34. Um, Let me give you a little bit of context. This is Jesus on the cross. He had been betrayed by his closest friends. They had abandoned him. He had been, uh, the people that he had been serving have, have rejected him, have mocked him, taunted him. He's been beaten and battered and whipped and tortured, spat on. He's hanging on a cross, which is one of the most brutal ways of dying. The Romans, they were experts on torture, and this was their preferred way of torture. 
And Jesus, hanging on a cross in excruciating pain, says this. Jesus said, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they're doing. Think of the gravity of that. In the midst of pain, what does Jesus say? Forgive them. He says, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they are doing. What is he saying? When he's saying they don't know what they're doing, he's not saying, hey, I, don't, I, I think this whole crucifixion thing was an accident. I think they didn't mean to put me up here. He's not saying that. He's not saying, hey, I don't, I don't think they mean to kill me. This was not, they don't know what they're doing. They're, they're not trying to kill me. He's not saying that. He's not saying it's an accident. He's not saying that this was something they're not intentionally doing. What Jesus is saying is he's making a fundamental and extremely foundational statement of, of humanity, of who we are. And he's saying that we don't know what we're doing. We are lost. We, we just fundamentally just, we, we don't know what we're doing and we are constantly looking for life and, and peace and happiness and hope and f- looking to find God in places we, we won't find him. The great philosopher said, we're looking for love in all the wrong places. We don't know what we're doing. And because of that, because we don't know what we're doing, we are constantly fumbling and, and making mistakes and, 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 and not just making mistakes, but hurting ourselves and, and hurting one another and, and hurting God. We are constantly wronging each other and, and even wronging ourselves. And God is saying, you don't know what you're... Let's make it personal. God is saying that you... Do not know what you're doing. Jesus on the cross is saying that you don't know what you're doing and that he's saying, JT, you don't know what you're doing. And he's not saying this to mock us or to degrade us. He's saying this with compassion and mercy. He's saying, oh, they don't know what they're doing. They're lost. And if you were honest, you would say, yeah, I don't know what I'm doing. And, and I have, I've hurt people. I've wronged the people that I've loved. I've wronged people in my life. And I've, I've wronged God. And, and the Bible would call this sin. We have all sinned. We've sinned against ourselves. We've sinned against one another. We have sinned against God. At our core, the Bible tells us that we are just sinful people. We are sinful people at our core. I never had to teach my daughter how to lie. It was just in her. She knew how to do it pretty well. But we have sinned against one another. We've hurt our children. We have hurt our coworkers, our, our ex-spouse, our neighbor, that business partner that we had. We have hurt one another. Our parents, a sibling. And listen, I don't say, I, the last thing I want is for us to feel shame. I don't say this so we feel ashamed or, ugh, this is awful. 
But I think it is very important that we understand the extent of our brokenness, that, that we come to the understanding, I'm sinful, I'm lost, I don't know what I'm doing. There needs to be an awareness of that. But I think there's two parts to what Jesus is saying here. And I think the second part of what Jesus is saying is even more important than the first part. That yes, the first part is that we don't know what they're doing. But the second part is that Jesus on the cross extends to us forgiveness for those sins. He says there, there is, there's forgiveness for those things that we have done. Jesus says, forgive them. And these aren't just words. These aren't just words. See, the beauty uh, and, and really the mystery of the cross is, is this, is that the Bible tells us that these sins that we, we commit, these sins that we have, that we all do, that there are consequences to these sins. All kinds of consequences. One of the consequences is, is because God is a holy, righteous, good God, there's a, there's a separation, that it causes the separation. It, it fractures our relationship with God. It fractures the relationship with one another. It fractures even our relationship with ourselves, knowing who we are, that sin causes separation. And, 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 and the Apostle Paul tells us in Romans chapter 6, he says, the wages of sin is death. Wages, I mean, it means the payment. Like your wage, your hourly wage, your payment. The payment of sin is death. And what Paul is saying is that the, the natural outcome, the, the, the effects of sin is death. That, that sin leads to death. Relational death, physical death, spiritual death, emotional death. This is the natural outpouring, outcome of sin. But Jesus on the cross paid for those sins. He, he paid those wages. He made that payment. And Jesus extends to us forgiveness of the debt that we have. It's like the greatest debt forgiveness program there is. Jesus extending forgiveness for the debt that we have accrued. Jesus says, no longer do you have to pay. I will pay. I've paid it. I've paid it all. We, you, you don't know what you're doing, but you are forgiven. And this is the good news of the gospel. This is such, such good news that our debt has been paid. And I, and I want us to just think of that for a moment. Because if you're like me, I just don't think it really sinks in. I just don't think it does. Because if it really sunk in how forgiven we are, it would change everything. It would change the way we act. It would change everything in our life if we really fundamentally understood that we are forgiven. Let me, let me, let me say it like this. Imagine if I came in here and I said, hey guys, give me all of your credit card statements and give me your, your car payments and give me your, your, your mortgage payments and I'm taking care of it. I'm paying it. The debt is forgiven. Like imagine the like excitement that would be here in this room that would like everyone would be hooping and hollering and it would just be amazing. 
And I know if someone said that to me, it would feel like a huge weight was lifted off my shoulders. But how much greater is the debt that Jesus paid for us? He paid a payment that we could never pay off for all of eternity. Jesus said, I will pay that debt. I forgive it. Jesus says to you this morning that you are forgiven of your debt. The thing that has separated you from God, the thing that has, has weighed you down, I'm paying for that. Give it to me. I forgive you. 2 Corinthians chapter 5 tells us, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting people's sins against them. Gosh, that is the best news I've ever heard. Jesus is not counting people's sins against them. And, and my greatest hope for you today is, not, is, is that you can even take a step more in the understanding of how loved and forgiven you are. That it would change who you are, that it would change how you act, it would change how you see yourself, how you see God, how you see others. Tim Keller says it like this. He says the gospel or the good news is this. We are more sinful and flawed in ourselves than we ever dared believe. Yet at the same or at the very same time, we are more loved and accepted in Jesus Christ than we ever dared hope. So here's the reality of what Jesus is saying. He's saying you don't know what you're doing and that you hurt people. But I forgive you. I'm offering you forgiveness. And that is good news, guys. And because we are forgiven, we see this, this parallel in the Bible over and over again. Because of the, 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 the forgiveness that we have received, Jesus issues this challenge or this call for us as the forgiven to forgive others. He says, because you have been forgiven so much, you should in turn forgive those who have wronged you. It says that all over the New Testament, we can read it. Ephesians chapter 4 says, be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other just as in Christ God forgave you. That there's a correlation that because we have been forgiven, we need to forgive others. Jesus tells this story. In Matthew chapter 18, I encourage you to, to read it at home. It's the story about this king who, 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 who is beginning to collect the debts that are owed to him. And he calls in this guy who owes him like millions of dollars. And, and he, he calls him in and says, you pay me the money or I'm throwing you in jail. And the guy begs for mercy. He says, forgive me the debt, please, please show mercy, show mercy on me. And the king extends mercy. He says, okay, I forgive you this debt. I forgive you this debt. And so the guy gets up and leaves and then goes out and finds someone who owes him a couple thousand dollars and says, pay me my money. You owe me, now pay me. And the reason Jesus tells this story was for a variety of reasons, but one of the things that he was trying to, to get across is this is how we act that we have been forgiven from God by so much, for so much. But we, in turn, we, we don't forgive the ones who have wronged us. 
That God has extended so much forgiveness to us, but we cannot extend forgiveness to others. And Jesus is saying, that is not right. That we need to be forgivers. We need to be forgivers just as, as Jesus is a forgiver. And here's my fear, is I believe we are living in a culture where forgiveness and mercy is becoming less and less valued. It's becoming less and less a virtue to be forgiving and merciful. If you don't believe me, um, just pay attention to politics over the next <laughs> few months. There's no forgiveness. There's no mercy extended to one another. And in this culture we're living in, uh, oftentimes it's referred to as call-out culture or cancel culture, where, where you, people will, you know, go on Twitter and, and find something that someone said, you know, t five years ago and say, you said this, and now your career is over. We have movements where, where people are, are going to politicians or celebrities and, you know, calling them out for the things that they have done. And, and, and for, in some cases, it is ruining careers, ruining lives. And let me just say really quick, I don't think that is a, all bad. I don't think it's all bad. I actually think there's a lot of the justice of God that we see in that that people who are in places of power are actually finally being, being held responsible and held accountable for the things that they have done to others. And it's giving a voice to people who have traditionally not had a voice. And so maybe women who didn't have a voice in, in certain situations are now saying, hey, this man did this to me. And that's not a bad thing. And in fact, I think it's been the job of the church to do that. There's a call from God that we would defend the weak, that we would, we would be champions of the marginalized and the ones who have been oppressed. And, and, and we need to, to, to be, you know, the defenders of justice. But here's the problem, is that there is no path in the way the culture is doing it to any kind of forgiveness or reconciliation or restoration. It, it is all justice and no mercy. And as people of God, we need to be people of justice, but also people of mercy. Yeah, we need to defend the weak. We need to stand up for the marginalized and the oppressed, but we need to, we need to teach people what it looks like to forgive and what it looks like to help people walk a path of, of restoration and reconciliation. And it's complicated. It's very complicated. It's easy for me to say. It's hard to do in practice. But I believe what Jesus is calling us to do as believers is to be uh, just and merciful. I love Thomas Aquinas says this. He says, Mercy without justice is the mother of disillusion. But justice without mercy is cruelty. We need both justice and mercy. We need to both stand up for the truth, but we also need to be people who forgive. I mean, look at the life of Jesus. Jesus 
uh, didn't go around thinking, does this situation need justice or mercy? It was constantly a fire hose of both. It was both uh, go and sin no more, but I do not condemn you. It was constantly extending justice and mercy, and in no place is is it more evident than on the cross. The cross is a beautiful picture of justice, that a payment needs to be paid. A payment needs to be paid, but I will pay it. I extend mercy. And Jesus is calling us to be forgiving. And so I want want to take it from the theoretical and just make it practical for a second. Who here, raise your hand, if you have been hurt by someone? All right, some of you are not raising your hands, and you've had an amazing life. All of us have. We have all been hurt. We have all been hurt, and Jesus is calling you. He's calling me. He's calling us to forgive those people, to forgive those people who have wronged us who've hurt us. And here's the thing, I think it is so hard and complicated because I say this, I really want to say this really humbly because I know that people have been hurt in really significant ways. And forgiving those people who have hurt you is, is easier said than done. But I think one of the reasons why it's hard to forgive is because I think we have a misunderstanding of what forgiveness is. And I want to I uh, clear up some, just three really quick, three misunderstandings of what forgiveness is that might help us to better forgive those who have wronged us. These three misconceptions, and the first one is this, that, that forgiveness isn't excusing. Forgiveness isn't excusing. It's not saying, not a big deal, or don't worry about it, or hey, I didn't even notice I didn't notice. I didn't notice that you, like, you know, you, you said that nasty thing about me. All right? It's not a big deal that you did that thing to hurt me. It's not a big deal. I didn't. In fact, forgiveness is saying it was a big deal. It hurt. It was wrong. I mean, think about, think about what Jesus does on the cross, how he extends forgiveness. He doesn't say, Not a big deal, guys. Don't worry about that sin. No, he says, this is a big deal. It's such a big deal that I have to give my life for it. So when we are forgiving, we aren't saying that what the person did didn't matter. In fact, it's the opposite. So forgiveness isn't excusing or not being called to dismiss or excuse or minimalize the hurt or offense. The other thing that forgiveness isn't, forgiveness isn't demanding. Forgiveness isn't demanding. Oftentimes, I've said or I've heard people say things like, I'd forgive that person if they would just say they're sorry. Or, yeah, I'd forgive that person if they would just change, you know, the way they were acting. Or I'd forgive you if you just you know, acted sincere, or if you seemed apologetic, I'd forgive you, or any kind of thing. But but forgiveness doesn't make demands. 
Jesus on the cross, what does he say? He says, forgive them. He doesn't make a demand. I love Romans chapter 5. It's one of my favorite verses in the Bible. It says, but God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. He didn't say, get your act together, and then I'll think about forgiving you. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. So for us, we're called to forgive regardless of the attitude or actions of the other person because here's the thing, and here's why, here's the, here's the big misconception is because forgiveness is, is not really even about that person. It's not for that person. Forgiveness is for you. When we forgive others, it is, it is really, it is for us. It's essentially saying, I want to get out from underneath the weight of this person's offense, of this wrong thing that they did. I don't want it anymore, God. Would you take it? Would you take this unforgiveness? Would you take this, this, this hurt? Lord, I give it to you, and, and we make an exchange. Would, would you heal this wound? Would you give me your peace? Would you give me your hope? Would you give me your love? Forgiveness is freeing for us. I think the reason that Jesus calls us to forgive is because it, it, unforgiveness is bondage. And we live in bondage when we, just, when we do not forgive. But when we choose to forgive, it is like we step into freedom. Guys, I've shared this story, but I remember this, this, this one time in my life, there was someone... Who is, who is a mentor of mine, who I looked up to, who deeply, deeply hurt me, deeply wronged me. And for years, I struggled and could not forgive this person. I could not forgive this person. And the, I, I began to work through forgiveness with a, with a counselor. And when I forgave this person, it was like a, a thousand pounds were lifted off of my shoulders. And I didn't even have to tell the person I forgave them. It was between me and God. And it was freedom. It brought freedom to me. And I've seen this in my life. I've seen this in people around me that when we forgive, God is not just saying, you better forgive. It's my rules. And my rules go. He's saying, guys, I want you to thrive. And, and this unforgiveness is killing you. Marianne Williams, I, I don't really know who this lady is, but she says this quote. She says, unforgiveness is like drinking poison yourself and waiting for the other person to die. That's what it is. Essentially, it's, it's what it's saying is, I am not the judge. That if, that if sometimes we think, if I am not going to hold this person accountable, if I'm not the, the ultimate judge and arbiter of right and wrong, then who else will? There, there's no other judge in the universe who sits on a throne, but there is. Jesus is the judge. And one day we are going to be held accountable and, and we are saying, God, I trust you to, to, to be just. I trust you to, to handle this situation the, need, the way it needs to be handled. I trust you and I'm going to step off the throne and let you sit there. And it brings us freedom. 
third misconception of forgiveness. And this one is a big one. I think this has been really helpful in my life is that forgiveness isn't reconciliation. They're two different things. They're both good things, but they're two different things. That forgiveness isn't always reconciliation. And, and, and one of the big differences between the two is uh, one is free and one usually has a cost. There's work that has to be done with reconciliation. But forgiveness is free. It's a gift. It's extended. Look at the cross. Look at the cross. What does Jesus do? Who does he extend forgiveness to? Who does Jesus extend forgiveness to on the cross? Everybody. It's for, all, it's for everyone. This, this is just super fundamental in the Bible that Jesus says the, the forgiveness is for all people. That John 3.16, whoever, whoever believes, whoever, but who is reconciled back to him? Who is reconciled back to him? That's not necessarily everybody. It's who accepts it. It's who puts their faith in Jesus and accepts this free gift of grace and salvation. So for us, God is calling us to forgive those who have hurt us, but, but without excusing, without demanding, uh, but maybe reconciliation would be different. So let me say it this way really practically. There are people that God is calling you to forgive, but maybe you shouldn't allow that person back in your life. Maybe they are um, abusive to you or to your children, or maybe they are dangerous and, and, and boundaries are good. And so maybe God isn't saying, hey, forgive them and let them have you know, a spot in, in the home. That's not necessarily what God is challenging us to do. I do believe that God is ultimately wanting to reconcile all things back to himself. And he's given us the ministry of reconciliation. But that takes work, and that's that. there's effort into that, and there's, there's time, and it's complicated, and I don't have time to really get into it. But I will say this. I love Romans chapter 12. Paul says this. He says, if it's possible, if it's possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. He's saying, if, if, if you can, if it, as far as it depends on you, be reconciled. But sometimes it doesn't just depend on us. Sometimes it depends on the other person. So we can say things like, and we don't even have to say it to the other person, but we can say things like, I forgive them, but to be reconciled, they need to be in treatment. Or they need to get sober, or, they, or, or whatever. There's all kinds of things. As far as it depends on you, be reconciled. But we are called to forgive. We are called to forgive. And so Jesus today, I think, is extending uh, not only his forgiveness onto us, but he's issuing a challenge for us that we would be like him, that we would be forgivers. And so why don't we stand? We're going to go back into... A, a time of worship, and then we're going to respond. 
And so if, if, if Emma wants to come, come up and we'll, we'll uh, uh, just go into a time of worship. But, but as, as we worship, I just feel like there are a few different groups of people that the Lord wants to really minister to and speak to during worship. I think he wants to do it with all of us, but specifically, there's a few groups of people. And one is people who need to understand more how forgiven they are. I think for some of us, we think of God as, he, as an angry God, that he's disappointed with us or angry with us, or he's wagging his finger, or he's saying, again, are we dealing with this again? And that's not your father. He loves you. He forgives you. And so would you begin as we worship to receive his love, his mercy, his forgiveness. And second, I think there's a group of people here who you are beginning to think of people in your life that you need to forgive. And that they, they, they may have wronged you in really hard ways. The Lord is inviting you into the freedom of forgiveness. He's inviting you into life. And then finally, I think there might be some people here today who, for the first time, want to be reconciled with Jesus. And you want to accept that free gift of, of forgiveness and say, I want to be forgiven for those things, the, the, the wrongs that I've done against me and others and you. Would you forgive me? And I want to be reconciled with you. And I just want to say, if, you, if that's you today, um, on, on your Connect card, there's like a little box that says, I gave my life to Jesus. Would you just let us know that you did that? Because it's a big deal, and we'd love to kind of walk that journey with you. We actually have a gift for you. We'd love to give you a gift and, and some books and some stuff like that and help you walk out this, this journey with Jesus. But Emma's going to lead us in this song, and I'll, I'll come back up and lead us into some, some response. But let's just see what the Lord has for us. So before we worship, let's just, just quiet ourselves. Calm, Holy Spirit. Come have your way. Would you speak to us? So I just want to encourage you that during worship to be, to be listening, listening to the Lord as uh, maybe there's a picture that enters your mind or, or a feeling in your heart or, or a word that goes through your, through your mind. Sometimes our thoughts aren't our own thoughts. So speak to us, Lord. We invite you here. It's worship. <clears throat>